So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out. This past week, I've had that sinking feeling. And I doubt I'm the only one with that sinking feeling. It started with a war of words between national leaders, nationalist leaders, seriously threatening the use of nuclear weapons on the very week that marks the anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, arguably the most devastating week in history. Not that the irony seemed to occur to them. And the week finished, as you will know, with the demonstrations in Charlottesville. Charlottesville, demonstrating, in case you had any doubt, that white racism is alive and well in the U.S. and flourishing in our present political climate. So that sinking feeling. I want to unpack that with you for just a minute. Unpack that sinking feeling. Of course, it comes with the growing realization that the person whom some of us naively claimed as our first post-racial president is now replaced with just one more, our latest racist president. And if that sounds too harsh to you, I think it's possible you've not been paying attention. Of course, that sinking feeling comes also with a growing realization that this country is maybe not what we once naively thought it was, or what we once perhaps naively thought it might be becoming. Of course, that sinking feeling comes with the growing realization on the world stage that something, something that we once naively labeled unthinkable, is now become at least, at most, unlikely. For me, that sinking feeling, for me personally, that sinking feeling is made worse with a growing realization that the Christian movement, the movement of Jesus, is being subverted and compromised. When we hear somebody like the Reverend Robert Jeffress, the president's favorite pastor, tell us that, quote, God has given Trump authority to take out Kim Jong-un, and no doubt many with him. For me, when I view footage of the rank ranks of white nationalists and self-described Nazis brandishing tiki torches from Walmart and hurling racist and anti-Semitic slogans into the air, I'm hit with a sinking feeling. I'm hit with a sinking feeling that the vast majority of those marchers would self-identify as Christian, whatever that might mean to them. But those marchers are backed up with a more pervasive with a sinister narrative that teaches that slavery wasn't so bad. That Jim Crow wasn't just slavery by another name. And that now it's whites who are truly oppressed. And that narrative is being echoed and worse acted upon at the highest levels of our government. 
Not only that, but aided and abetted by churches and pastors who can't or won't see the situation for what it is, or don't think it's their business to challenge it, don't think it's our business to challenge it. And it all gives me that sinking feeling. But also, and more than that, that sinking feeling comes from a growing conviction that I'm not sure what I can do about all that. That's really the crux and the source of the sinking feeling as I'm experiencing it with you today. Sure, I'm fired up to take it all on. And I'm urged on by my faith in Jesus and my promise to Jesus, my promise to Jesus to follow him into the difficult places and not just the easy ones. Sure, I'm ready to leap out of the boat and see what that water really offers. But that just brings me to Peter. Poor Peter. Poor pathetic Peter, who is so pathetic. Why? Why is he so pathetic? Because he's just like us. Let's look at the story of poor pathetic Peter because I think it'll help us. As you'll recall, and this all takes place after the feeding of the 5,000, which we heard about last week. As you'll recall, Jesus sends the disciples away in their boat so he can finally get a little time for himself, so he can finally get some prayer time, some time alone with God. But, Not surprisingly, those disciples can't get very far. They can't get very far without him. They can't get far at all. And so evening comes, and they can make no headway against the wind. The next morning comes. Anybody been to the Sea of Galilee? It's not that big. It's not that big. But the next morning comes, and they're still out there, more or less in the same place, still not making any headway. So Jesus comes out. To them, employing an unusual mode of transportation. Now, you may not like this whole walking on water thing. I don't know. I like it. I like it a lot. To me, it shows the lengths to which Jesus is willing to go to be with us and not to lose us and to keep us on track. It shows us that. If nothing else, it shows us that. But when Jesus shows up using his unusual mode of transportation, are they glad to see him? Aren't they glad to see him? Anybody else? They're not really glad to see him. They're not glad. What do they say? They're freaking out. They're terrified. They're screaming in fear. They're not so very glad to see him. Jesus says, hey, it's me. And Peter still isn't sure. But if it's Jesus, that's pretty amazing. So Peter gets this idea that if Jesus calls him, he can follow, even if it's difficult, even if it means walking on liquid water as though it's solid. And here's the weirdest thing about this story, in case you missed it. Peter's right. Peter's right. He can walk on water. And he does walk on water. 
It's easy to read this story and skip over that part and think, there goes Peter, he can't even walk on water. But give him a break because he walks on the water for a bit. Probably longer than you or I could do it. But then what happens? He stops moving forward, right? He stops. He stops moving forward. He starts thinking about it. He notices that the wind that was giving him such a hard time during the evening and the morning is still there. It's still blowing, and it's still strong, and it's still stopping him, and it's not easy, and he doesn't know what to do, and he starts to doubt himself. And it gives him that sinking feeling. So Peter... Peter does the only thing he can think of. He screams for help because he can't do it on his own. He can't do something that challenging on his own. And we can't either. That's the thing. We can't do it either. Jesus is impatient with Peter. But once Peter has a hold of Jesus and Jesus has a hold of him, the two of them... Just trot back to the boat, and the story continues. But first, his impatience with Peter gets expressed, and it gets expressed in this way. You of little faith, not of no faith, we all have a little faith, but you of not enough faith, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Doubting in Greek is a funny word. It means think two things at once. It means going in two directions at once. It means I'm walking on the water. It means I can't walk on water at the same time and holding those two things in conflict. It means your soul is divided against itself. All of that is packed into this little word that we translate doubt. Why did you doubt, Peter? Why did you doubt yourself? Why did you doubt your power? Why did you doubt that you might have the ability to do something that I've asked you to do, that I've invited you to do, that I've implored you to do, that I have given you the strength and the courage and the conviction and the commitment to do? Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And Jesus might ask us that question too, right? Jesus might ask us that same question. You of little faith who think that you can do nothing, who think that you can do nothing in the face of absurdity and violence and oppression and hate and the derision that feeds on division? Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt yourself? Who taught you to doubt yourself? Not me, says Jesus. Not ever me. You'll recall that when Martin Luther King wrote his justly famous letter from Birmingham City Jail, it was a real letter, written in response to a real letter, written in response to a public letter penned by eight Alabama clergy people, including two Methodist bishops. Their statement, the statement of the eight clergy, was called, A Call for Unity. And it urged King and his friends and followers to be patient, to be patient in the face of violence and racism. Be patient. And King's reply was kind of this reply all to them and to America in general, and especially those Americans who didn't quite get it. 
didn't get what the problem was and maybe didn't think there was a problem because there wasn't a problem for them. So Reverend King writes this. We can never forget, he says, that everything Hitler did in Germany was legal. We can never forget that everything those Hungarian freedom fighters did in Hungary in 56 was illegal. It was illegal to aid and comfort a Jew in Hitler's Germany, but I hope that if I had lived in Germany during that time, I would have aided and comforted my Jewish brothers, even though it was illegal. He goes on from there, but it's really the conclusion of the letter that I want to remind us of today. After apologizing for the the length of the letter, which he admits has turned into something of a book, explaining that he don't have much else to do sitting there in the jail cell day after day other than to write. He ends up with this paragraph. He says, if I have said anything in this letter that is an overstatement of the truth and is indicative of an unreasonable impatience, I beg of you to forgive me. If I have said anything in this letter that is an understatement of the truth, and is indicative of my having a patience that makes me patient with anything less than brotherhood, I beg God to forgive me. Friends, if we're patient and complacent with what's happening around us, we can call ourselves something, but let's not call ourselves Christians. And if we're doubtful, If we're doubtful of the power and the authority that following Jesus gives us to resist injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves, let's call ourselves something, but let's not claim to be followers of Jesus. And finally, if we let that sinking feeling, if we let that sinking feeling overtake us and control us and keep us down and keep us sinking, keep us from moving forward, We can call ourselves something, but not the free, bold, compassionate, and courageous children of God that we were created to be. So let's not, whatever else happens this week, let's not fall into that sinking feeling. Let's not let it control us and keep us from moving forward and keep us from speaking out. In the name of the one who calls us forward, to him always calls us forward in the difficult situations and the easy situations and the impossible situations and the things that are just simple that we think are impossible. In the name of that one, amen. Amen. Amen.